Welcome back to the William Briggs Show. This is episode number three. Today's date is the 7th of October, 2009. Today's episode, you look good, so why do you feel so bad? We're going to talk all about health, the swine flu, cholera, our moral obligations, insurance, and Mark Twain. So stick around. Man, my baby long. Great gosh, my baby town. Well, that clip is from the Blues Brothers movie. Since we're talking about healthcare, we might as well talk about uh, car chases and car crashes. This movie contains the only worthwhile chase in all of cinema. Everything else is dull and you know exactly what's going to happen. But in this chase, in this movie, you don't. And so it's very interesting. So today we're going to talk all about health. I don't know what's going on today, but before we get going, I should warn you, there seems to be a drag race of uh, semi-trucks down 2nd Avenue where I live, so we'll be hearing quite a lot of them. And from time to time, my neighbor likes to pound on the floor. It's sort of a hobby with him, so we might hear some of that. I'll try to filter some of it out, but if uh, some of it sneaks in, you'll know why. Before we discuss all of this, we should define what we mean by health. After all, uh, it's one of those things that you think you know, but uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. And it's worthwhile to understand exactly what we mean by health. So I think we'll, we'll go to the sage of Baltimore and we'll listen to him. Now he says health is a, a degree of adaptation to an organism's environment. So nearly complete that there is no irritation. What that means is I may be in equilibrium with my environment and my environment might not be the same as your environment and therefore I may not be in equilibrium in your environment. That is all to say in a very complicated way that health means different things to different people. What you mean by equilibrium does not mean the same thing I do. And if we're in two different situations, we may be in two different states of health. Therefore, it should really be up to the individual to say for themselves what they mean by health. Now, we'll have to look at what that means a little bit later on. So hold all this in the back of your mind. One thing is for certain, though, uh, at least in the Western world, times are getting better. Medical science has certainly improved. Really, it's only been in the last hundred years that it has done so, but it has done so. And uh, people are feeling better, they're living longer, they're, doing, they're, they're living better in all sorts of ways. Yet uh, the anxiety, uh, the care, the concern seem to be just as high as ever, if not even higher. As things get better, people become whinier. And uh, we've certainly had our share of health scares in the recent uh, memory. Everybody remembers uh, bird flu, do we, from a couple of years back? Uh, people all over Asia were wearing surgical masks that uh, probably wouldn't have blocked out the viruses, but uh, they were wearing them anyway. Everybody was deathly concerned that they were going to get this bird flu and die. Now, of course, it's uh, swine flu. 
So I thought it would be useful. I happen to be up at the National Academy of Medicine here in New York City. It's up on 105th Street or something like that in Fifth Avenue, uh, across from the Shakespeare Garden. Absolutely beautiful place to go, incidentally, uh, especially in the spring when all the flowers are blooming. You must see it. But I was there for a conference, and they had a display case. And in that display case was a graph, a beautiful statistical graph of uh, the death rate per 1,000 people in New York City. I took a picture of this graph using my cell phone camera, and it will be readily apparent that I have no skills whatsoever as a photographer. It is a little bit blurry in the axis labels. Uh, nevertheless, you can make out most of what it's trying to say. You'll, you'll see a little bit of reflection from my cell phone, too. I was stupid enough not to know that I had to get rid of that. You can log on to the website and see it. Uh, it's wmbriggs.com, w-m-b-r-i-g-g-s.com, uh, and sort of follow along. But what it shows is the death rate in New York City uh, from the mid-1800s to roughly the mid-1900s. And what it shows is there are enormous spikes uh, for the death rate due to cholera, up to 50 per 1,000 people. These were cholera outbreaks and epidemics. Not every death was uh, directly attributable to cholera during these times, but a lot of them were. Yellow fever was also one of the maladies uh, along with cholera. Yellow fever and cholera are easy things to uh, discourage, mainly by the use of uh, good sewers. So the most beneficial public health initiative that I think we've ever done is to have good sewers, clean water, and if you look on the graph, right around 1900 or so, they began the chlorination of the New York City water system. And right after that, they began pasteurization, or requiring pasteurization of milk, and they set up these baby stations uh, for good milk and so forth. But 50 out of every 1,000, that's, uh, that's 5%. That's 1 in 20 that's a huge death rate. If you're around in those times, that's something to be frightened of. Not nearly as scary as our death rate now, which is actually very low. I was able to check for the swine flu, and at most, the swine flu is uh, one in a thousand. It looks like it's about a third of that or even a quarter of that. It's uh, far, far below uh, most other sort of you know, it, it fades into the background of our death rates. Uh, you wouldn't know that there was a swine flu pandemic going on just looking at a, a plot of the raw death rates like this. Uh, the, the 1918 flu pandemic, of which you might have heard, uh, which was sort of a devastating event, is on this graph as well. But it shows up as barely a blip in 1918. Death rates did increase. They were on their way down uh, due to good sanitation and so forth, but they did increase in 1918 in the city here. The death rates that we're facing from some of our modern flus, of course, there's no way to know, but uh, they seem to be very small, very small in comparison with these rather major events, these major cholera outbreaks and so forth. Yet the concern is certainly a lot higher. So we, we have to grapple with this. People uh, are going to the doctors more often uh, for maladies which they would have uh, treated at home or ignored and they would have gone away on their own. People are going even when they're not sick. Uh, 
in general, people are certainly making more use of the medical system. Now, some of this, of course, catches diseases earlier. It also catches diseases that aren't there. That is, there's a number of false positives. All this adds burden and stress and increases the cost. And you can argue since that uh, the health, the, the death rates rather are going down and people are healthier, that all of this is having some benefit. And that's true. But uh, teasing out how much of a benefit all this uh, sort of uh, extra care is bringing us is not at all clear. Is it really just the fact that our food supplies have gotten better uh, and our sewers have gotten better and better sanitation uh, throughout the world and so forth? These have to be the bulk of medical improvements. And then after that, probably vaccinations. Uh, we will get to that when we talk about uh, do uh, or rather are uh, inoculations associated with uh, such things as autism and so forth. When you hear your call come over the loudspeaker, rush immediately to answer, as seconds mean lives. Yes, yes sir. Calling Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard. Calling Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard. Before we get to our next topic, uh, I read in the paper that the White House had a photo opportunity with a number of physicians. And apparently when these physicians got there, they all dressed up, they wore ties if they were men, uh, suits if they were ladies. Not all of them or hardly any of them brought their lab coats. After all, they were not going to dissect any frogs or give anybody any shots. So that the White House handed out lab coats so that everybody appeared doctorial. And you always do not believe what you are told by men and women in white lab coats. You cannot go wrong when you follow somebody's advice who's wearing a lab coat. Let's talk for just a moment about health insurance. Health insurance is a long and complicated matter, but let's think about it very simply. Let's you and I make a bet. I will set the odds on you getting lung cancer, say, in the next year. I'll factor in your age, whether or not you're a smoker and things like this, and some statistical model I'll build, and I'll come up with a probability of you developing cancer within one year. And from this, and using my utility for money and so forth, I could set a price that I am willing to charge you to pay, say, a million dollars if you do develop cancer. Now this is uh, a gamble. It's a bet. It's a bet like any other bet. It's a legalized bet here in the United States, uh, only if you're a registered insurance company. You and I really aren't allowed to make those kinds of bets. Uh, the government likes to have control over those sorts of things. But there are difficulties after we move away from this simple betting structure. The difficulty turned out to be the insurance companies, uh, at least initially, wanted to do the right thing and wanted to automate their systems. There was a whole mess of things going on here, but the automation meant that the bill was removed from the consumer's eyes. The patient no longer saw what the bill cost, uh, what the cost for services was. This was hidden. Uh, little ticky-tacky things, you know, $10 for an aspirin and the cost of the blood test, the cost for the x-rays, the cost for all these different procedures and so on, the doctor's fee are all added on there. They're all negotiated between the insurance company and the doctor, and the patient never sees these kind of things. 
And so if you don't have insurance and you want to go to the doctor and you try asking how much something costs, nobody knows. Absolutely nobody knows. Try going to a hospital and say, I want to have a certain procedure done. Try to get a, a summary of the bill before you go. Not a single person can even give you an estimate because everything is geared around these hidden payments things. And I think the insurance companies have really ended up or will end up uh, cutting their own throats, uh, so to speak, because they, or at least these activities, are partly responsible. There, there's a number of other things, a whole host of other things that are also responsible for increasing costs. But this did not help out matters very much. Before we get to whether or not there should be mandatory insurance. I think we'll take a little break. And after we return from the break, we'll talk about the moral obligations that uh, I have and you might have to cover somebody's health expenses. But first, this. the great Don Walzer from Austin, Texas. Probably one of the only people left who uh, yodels in song. And that song goes out to Uncle Mike. We hope he's listening. Let's think about the current debate about health coverage. Uh, the government wants to take it over. The government wants to decide who gets what coverage. 
or rather who gets what treatments and how much they're going to pay for it. Some people think this is a good idea because they reason not everybody can afford all treatments. Well, this becomes a question of morals, of morality. It is not an empirical question. Uh, it is an obvious fact and it is a tautology that the poor have less money. So we have learned nothing new by saying something like this. Uh, so if we want to say that uh, people's health costs should be covered by the government, which after all is us, we have to decide what that means. Am I obligated to pay from my neighbor's health care. Suppose he develops heart disease. Should I help foot the bill for his medication? Most people think, yes, I should. Well, uh, suppose that his health conditions are self-inflicted. Suppose he starts drinking himself to death and he becomes an alcoholic and develops cirrhosis or worse, liver cancer. Should I be required to pay for that? After all, if uh, he would have behaved himself, uh, I would not have had those costs come out of my pocket. What about uh, standard care? What about for people who have nothing wrong with them but go to the doctor? Uh, hypochondriacs and the like. Or they go for common colds, things for which there are no treatments, or things like even the flu, for instance, which will go away on their own. Uh, most diseases will. Yet, uh, we're going to be asked to pay for these things and what moral obligation if any do I have so in this argument we are going to have to draw lines we are going to have to say what can be covered and what can't if you agree that I have an obligation that you have an obligation to pay for your neighbors uh, however you reason that we know we can't pay for everything because it can be like a tragedy of the commons situation. This is a very weak analogy, but if everybody realizes healthcare costs nothing to them directly, uh, everybody can run to the doctor for the smallest thing, from a paper cut to an imagined uh, disease to a small headache to anything. And nothing can really stop them, unless, of course, you put in regulations to stop them. That means you must define what diseases are covered, how much will be paid for them, and so on. There is absolutely no way around this. Some form of tribunal, some bureaucracy must be set up to decide these things. And this is the problem. When you start forming these sorts of tribunals and bureaucracies, you cater to the middle of the distribution as we statisticians like to say. Those people who are most like everybody else is the way they will think and the way they will define their limits. Therefore, for people who have uh, medical conditions for which they would not even want to pay for themselves would be required to pay for others. Or behaviors that may be out on the edge may, or what people consider to be out on the edge, but are absolutely uh, harmless to any other person may be disallowed. And so what rights then does the government have? Because with all of these healthcare rights, with all of these new rights to be uh, taken care of no matter what, or taken care of according to this list of bureaucrat controlled caveats, must come responsibility. If after all, 
uh, the government begins to pay for heart disease for say cholesterol lowering drugs or hypertensive antihypertensive medications does not the government then have the right to help decide or dictate your behavior after all they're paying for your bill you owe them something uh, you cannot just take and not give back this there can be no rights without responsibilities you have responsibilities so not only in this give and take you have to you have to you have to give your money and uh, to other people you will take services from the government but on the other hand you will have to live with whatever regulations that are uh, that are applied because uh, I am not allowed to decide what health means to me and I have to give this over to a government bureaucrat because that government bureaucrat must dispense the funds for this care certain restrictions are going to have to come into place uh, they're already coming into place even though we're not paying uh, for the most part for these costs people are already trying to encroach on our behaviors and limit them and so on so that we fall into what they regard as healthy not what you or I might regard as healthy but what they regard as healthy I'm gonna play an ad from a organization called the Center for Consumer Freedom now this ad is on YouTube I'm gonna have a link on the site uh, wmbriggs.com and you can go look at it there it uh, it starts with somebody stealing candy from a baby you can't see it you'll just hear the result of it but nevertheless it's sort of an interesting uh, an interesting ad everywhere you turn somebody is telling us what we can't eat it's getting harder just to enjoy a soft drink on a hot day do you ever feel like you've always been told what not to do find out who's driving the food police at consumerfreedom.com now that last scene's a little silly a uh, man's arm reaches in to take a lady's steak away because we all know how bad red meat for you is and she threatens him with her steak knife there are already groups out there the new york health department for instance uh, wants to ban smoking uh, not just in public buildings and so forth that's already been done they want to ban smoking now in city parks uh, city parks are of course open to everybody the the city itself is open to tourists who want to drive their cars to those parks those cars in one minute spewing out more obnoxious fumes uh, than a cigarette uh, or a pack of them ever could nevertheless the health police want to ban smoking because they say and it is true that smoking usually uh, mostly shortens your life uh, but smoking also for some of us uh, I don't happen to smoke but uh, smoking for some of us uh, increases the pleasure of our life and so some of us believe it is the quality of our life that matters and not the quantity uh, so let's listen to Mark Twain on this subject who had probably the last word to say you would think and he said uh, there are people who strictly deprive themselves of each and every eatable drinkable and smokable which has in any way acquired a shady reputation they pay this price for health and health is all they get for it how strange it is it's like paying out your entire fortune for a cow that has gone dry people forget that uh, not everybody 
is in love with the idea of living as long as absolutely possible and that some of us are interested in doing more as we're alive. And that is something that must get lost if we let the government get their hands on our health care. The Center for Consumer Freedom has also compiled a list of the 10 dumbest food cop ideas. And I'm going to read through these sort of quickly. We're not going to get to them all in detail, but uh, there'll be a link on the website. Number 10, we're going to sue them and sue them and sue them. This is one of the lawyers from the Public Health Advocacy Institute. Uh, naturally, there are a number of lawyers on that board. Uh, they have sent letters to food companies and restaurants insisting that they take responsibility for slimming America down. If they don't force everybody to go on a diet, the lawyers will. Number nine, if uh, they can't sue the food companies, they'll sue their parents and sue the doctors. A guy named John Bonshoff, he advocates suing doctors who do not, in his mind, adequately warn patients about obesity. He also wants to sue parents who have TVs in their children's room because, of course, TVs lead to obesity. Well, there's number eight, uh, banning diet soda in schools. Diet soda, of course, uh, has no calories for the most part. This is a gateway drug, and diet soda can lead to full fructose corn syrup regular pop, so we have to ban that. And some politicians, I think this is number seven, want to zone restaurants so that they're not in their city limits anymore, uh, particularly fast food places. They want to deny them building permits because everybody knows fast food is bad for you. The next is uh, hide candy behind the counter, just like they do cigarettes. Uh, we don't want them, poor children, going in there and seeing candy and becoming tempted. So if we remove it from their sight, they'll never know it's there. Uh, some school districts have banned the sharing of snacks at school. This is from Texas, of Texas of all places. Uh, a Texas school district sent this letter home. Until further notice, birthday or any other classroom treats will need to be purely nutritional and as free of sugar as possible. Please do not be disturbed or disappointed when your sweet treats are denied by the teacher due to this new policy from the Department of Agriculture. God, Texas, what have you done? Uh, the National Academy of Sciences, uh, moving up in the list, has advocated yet one more czar. They want a national food czar to uh, mandate, uh, centralize, and otherwise bureaucratize food policy. That's all we need is uh, to tell people exactly what we can eat. A Canadian province wants a new tax on restaurant meals that cost less than four dollars the reasoning is those meals typically came from fast food places and as we all know fast food is bad for you so if we put a tax on it people won't eat there the the next one down the list is uh carding for candy the some laws this is uh based on a law in new zealand that they want to extend the minimum purchase age for booze and cigarettes to apply also to Sodas, hamburgers, pie, candies, chocolate, all these other things that only adults should be allowed to have. And finally, the last one, the worst one of all, and the one that is uh, most troubling, is to completely dismiss personal responsibility. One of the activists from the Center for Science and the Public Interest said, We have got to move beyond personal responsibility, she said. Her name is Margot Wu-Tan. And another uh, person at her institute, uh, a person named Harold Goldstein, insists 
the delusion is that we all make free choices. Uh, the World Health Organization even says that uh, this uh, CSPI group even says obesity is not merely a matter of individual responsibility. Such suggestions are naive and simplistic. And our, and our John Bonshoff, our suing lawyer, sums up the notion of personal responsibility as crap. Well, there you have it. Uh, right now, in any case, it's not your fault. It is the fault of companies, which, of course, can be responsible in ways that people cannot somehow in a mysterious way, mostly because they have the money. And so this is the way the government now is encroaching or governments are encroaching on our choice, our free choice so far of making decisions about our health that we want to. Some of us want to eat a lot and enjoy the food while we can. The old saying that life is short and death lasts a long time does not mean much to these folks. They have already decided what is good for you and what is bad. So think about all these things the next time you're listening to the healthcare debates. And that's all the time we have this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Again, suggestions are welcome. Stop on by the website and leave me a message. See you next week. Rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Ain't got no cigarettes ah, But two hours of pushing from bison Eight, twelve, four bedroom I'm a man of means by no means King of the road Third box car, midnight train, destination banger, main. Whoa, worn out suit and shoes. I don't pay no use.